right, let's take our Bibles this morning. Turn to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. I think this morning I probably will teach more than preach. And I'm going to cover quite a bit of ground here. We're going to look at several different passages of Scripture and try to help uh, maybe connect some dots on some things as well. Uh, and so I hope that you'll follow along and make some notes. If I uh, say something that you've in a way that you, makes you kind of think and wonder where that come from, let's sit down and talk about it. You can call me. We'll sit down. I don't have time to get into as much detail as I would like to on some of these things. And uh, I have to uh, just uh, address some things through the Bible this morning that I think will help us in our Christian life. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, some of the cycles that you see in people's lives over years. Sometimes the pastor, you just have to stand up and teach and preach. And uh, we're going to do that this morning. Hebrews chapter 10, I think in your notes have us starting at verse 31. But I do want to back up a couple of verses because we're going to talk about verse number 29 as well. Uh, and so uh, the wavering are warned in this passage, actually starting from verse 26. Uh, the, they're they people that are finding their way and they're wavering in their faith. And verse 29 says, "Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despot unto the Spirit of grace." For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days, in which, after you were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of a fight of afflictions. Partly whilst ye were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly whilst ye became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me and my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Verse number 35 again, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. I want to speak this morning on this thought, don't throw it all away. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for, Lord, your word and its power. And Holy Spirit, we know that uh, you speak, you speak the word. You point us to Jesus. Lord Jesus, you promise when we gather together in your name, even just a few that you meet with us. Lord, may our hearts be open to you. May we recognize that there is no authority outside of the word of God and those to which it gives authority to. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to embrace the truth. I pray that you'd help us to reject that which is false and to live in a way that pleases and honors you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look here, <clears throat> and when you look at the book of Hebrews in particular, you have to kind of understand what, uh, anytime that you open the Bible, you want to know some things about the passage that you're reading. Okay, so uh, for starters, you want to know who's it written to. You, you can't just, uh, a lot of people get into trouble doctrinally whenever they just take a passage or lift a verse from it and don't take into consideration everything else that the Bible says. The Bible can't contradict itself. If there's a seeming contradiction, then that means that there's something that I don't understand because the Bible can't con contradict itself. It's not possible. Uh, and so if I don't believe that uh, by faith, then I need to chuck it and forget church and just go do what I'm going to do. Because nothing else matters. The, without the, the authority of God's word, and if I can't trust all of it, then I can't trust any of it. That's why it's so dangerous to uh, pick up these newer versions. If you pick up an NIV, there are entire passages that are missing. You pick up an ESV and words are twisted and distorted. Uh, and so, you know, people will say, hey, uh, you know, we'll have a hard time understanding it, Pastor. Isn't it amazing how we in this enlightened age in this enlightened age, uh, that typically we look back at people from the 15, 16, 17, 1800s as 
less informed, less educated, and less ignorant, and they had a far greater vocabulary than we have today. And so, you know, if people come in and say, well, I don't understand this. Well, study to show thyself approved. Amen. Uh, and so, learn. And so, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm sorry that the government education system has failed you. Uh, but that, that doesn't mean we need to chuck the Word of God and go get a magazine version of it. Uh, and so we need to hold to the truth of God's Word. Uh, and so when you look at the book of Hebrews, uh, we do not know emphatically or certain for certain who the writer is. We do know without question who the author is. Uh, and so the Holy Spirit of God is the author. God is the author. Uh, Jesus is the author. Uh, but the men were the writers of it. Sometimes you'll hear someone get up and they'll say, well, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul was the author of. No, he wasn't. Neither was David, neither was Samuel, neither was Luke, neither was uh, John or anyone else. Jesus is the author. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, and so we know that God is the author. Now, Having stated that, I do believe personally, it's okay for you to disagree with me on this point if you want to. I'm not going to be upset with you if you do. Uh, that the Apostle Paul is the writer of the book of Hebrews. I believe it's consistent with his other writing. I think that most scholars agree with that assessment, though there certainly are some who do not. Uh, and so, but the Apostle Paul would, if he put his name on this book as he did others, the audience that he was addressing would have rejected the book that he wrote because they despised him. He was, a, he was a traitor. He betrayed them. He was the great defender of Judaism and the persecutor of the church. And now he is the great advocate of the church. And so uh, when you see the Apostle Paul here and you see consistent in his writings, we understand that this book is written to the Hebrews. And it's a legal argument to try to bring them to the understanding that Jesus Christ is their Messiah. Uh, and he is trying to lead them and to guide them. Now, having said that, he says some things pretty pretty bluntly. He says some things sharply at times. Uh, and he gives a series of warnings. And so we're going to walk through some things this morning. So I, I beg your patience uh, and, and your ear uh, and an open heart to the Lord and His Word. Um, and so when we look here, consider uh, some warnings that we see because what we're, our, our text tonight or this morning is the fourth warning established here. Uh, in, in the book of Hebrews. And if you, if you look at, and, that's a, and I'm, I, you know, it's possible that I missed one here. Uh, and so I, I was trying to establish some continuity so that we can understand the context of the book. But in chapter 1 of Hebrews, or excuse me, chapter 2. So if you want to hold your place there, we are going to move to some other places and we're going to come back here. But in Hebrews chapter number 2, in verse number 1, he warns the hearers against neglect. Notice what he says, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. Now I'm just going to tell you this morning that every believer will let truth slip in their life if they are not constantly aware of their position and their influences and their walk with God. I'm susceptible to it. I don't, any, any, person and pastors of all people, evangelists, people that have been called and ordained to ministry should be more keenly aware of the fact that they are vulnerable to allowing their positions and their doctrines and their walk with God slip. Why? Because it's just human nature. It's what we do. We get comfortable. Things get, get easy at times. Uh, there are seasons of ministry that are constantly challenging. There are seasons of ministry where everything's just kind of rolling along like a well-oiled machine, like you, you wish it'd be that way all the time, but that's not life. Uh, and so, there, but there are times of ease whenever you let your guard down. And when you let your guard down, you have a tendency to slip. That's just what we do. And so he's warning here against neglect. Don't neglect the word of God. Don't neglect the teaching of God's Word. Don't neglect your fellowship with the Holy Spirit of God. Don't, don't neglect uh, your understanding of Bible truth. Then he addresses what happens next when you do neglect. Okay, so if I allow myself to neglect, then the next thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to harden my heart. Notice in chapter 3 and verse number 8. 
Harden not your hearts as in the day of provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Okay, so Israel has been led from slavery across the Red Sea, away from Pharaoh, into the wilderness. There comes a day, many days, uh, when they have a hard time. And what's their go-to position? Their go-to position is, and I'm sorry that we don't have time to look back uh, at multiple passages for this here, uh, but their go-to position is, we should have stayed in Egypt. We should have stayed in slavery. Okay, so the picture that this is for us as a Christian is, is that Egypt was the world, Israel was in their sin in the world until the picture of salvation came and Moses led them out of the world, the Red Sea, out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness, which is symbolic of our life, a struggle to get to heaven or the promised land. Now, there are a couple of different ways to apply analogies to this. I'm not trying to say one is right and one is wrong. I'm just, I'm just uh, trying to show there are some things that we can look at here that typify for us a picture of what we experience in the Christian life. And, and many times what you experience, especially if you've stood behind a pulpit like this uh, for 20 plus years, whenever you look at people's lives as they come and as they go, and what you see is that people come, they get saved, they get excited, they begin to learn, they begin to grow, and then they're gone. Or they never stop growing and they just continue to serve God. But I'm going to tell you something this morning, you can't serve God on your terms. We can only serve God on God's terms. Amen. And so when we look here, he's saying to us, I'm warning you against hardening your heart. And this is what happened. People neglect. And you watch and you see. And if you think back to people that you've known, if you've been here any length of time, you'll bear this out. You, you can bear this as truth. That somebody comes in, whether they got right with the Lord or whether they're looking for the Lord or whether they got saved. And after about two or three years, they either get really with serving God or they're gone. Why? Because the Word of God does one of two things in your life. It's going to inspire you to give your heart more to Him or it's going to so convict you that you're going to begin to reject the parts of it that you don't like or they're not a convenient to your agenda and you're going to get tired of hearing it and then you're going to be gone. I will be the first to admit that my goal in preaching as a pastor is to either preach you in or preach you out. We don't need a lot of people that are just kind of hanging around vacillating between one world and the other. I, my preference and my prayer is that everyone would give their heart to Christ and fully serve Him. Amen. But the reality is, is that not everyone's going to do that. Right. And at some point, that person begins to become a drag on God's ability to work in the ministry and they become a hindrance to God's work, and their spirit becomes bad. And at that point, the church needs to be pruned and purged. Now, I try to be careful, let God do the pruning and the purging. Probably so much so to a fault. But, but that's the reality. Why is that, Pastor? Because, because if the heart is hardened. You say, well, Pastor, I know people that, that you know, sometimes they've left churches that I've been a part of, and, uh, and they still tried to serve God. Their heart wasn't hardened. I'm not saying this morning... When, when we're talking about hard, and I think we all get that there are some people that just embrace sin and they just want to go back to Egypt and they want to engage in that lifestyle. They're done with church. And so it's heartbreaking, it's devastating, but it's reality. Sometimes you see people that have been in church and serving God for many, many years make that decision. And it's, it's, it's befuddling and it's, it's hard to accept at times. What I'm saying this morning is, is that as easy as it is for us to understand that, we also have to understand that a person who hardens their heart toward God growing them past the point to which they've already grown is also damaging. We all do it to a degree. I'm with you, Pastor, until you preach on that subject. When you preach on that, that's off limits. When you go there, well, I'm done with you. Now, wait a minute. I'm just preaching the Bible. And if you disagree with the interpretation of the Bible, why don't you sit down and let's talk? If you can make a strong biblical case, my mind has been changed over the years a couple of times about some things. I don't necessarily see everything now the way that I did 25 years ago. There are some things that God's taught me along the way. I'll be the first one to admit I don't have all the answers. I don't know everything. 
And, you know, sometimes we need to come to the place where we understand and realize uh, that we're not hardening our heart to the truth of God's word is not the answer. It's not healthy and it's not going to lead us to a good place. And he, and he tells us here in verse number eight, chapter three, harden not your hearts as you did in the provocation. Then he warns us, uh, you harden your heart. First you neglect, then some harden their heart. Then when they, once the heart is hardened, what's the next step? We don't listen. I want you to notice Hebrews chapter five and verse number 11. Hebrews chapter five and verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. So he's making an appeal and he's warning and he's saying to them, I've got some hard things to say to you. In other words, I've got some things to say to you that are going to be hard for you to accept. They're going to be hard for you to receive or they're going to be hard for you to understand. But I can't even give you the message of the truth of God because you, you've already decided in the hardness of your heart not to listen. You're not open to the Bible. Now, a lot of good people that disagree about a lot of things, but we always ought to be open to the Bible. And so the Bible is our authority. Then he says, you're warned against an unlistening ear. Then in verse number, or chapter number 10 and verse 38, back in our text this morning, he says, now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. So what does that lead to? Drawing back. In other words, I started in, I came in, now I'm drawn back. I, I, I was getting right with God. I was growing in his grace. It got a little hard or I got upset about something or I got misled about something or I got, uh, you know, headed down the wrong road and uh, started trying to be reined back. I didn't like that. And so now I'm, I'm just drawing back. I'm withdrawing. Now, when he's given this, he's trying to say to them, I love you, I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to teach you, I'm trying to give you what God has got for you. But if you harden your heart and if you dull your hearing and if you draw back, you're, you're rendering it impossible for the Holy Spirit of God to grow you in His grace. Amen. And so he, he lays it out here. Now in our text this morning, he is, uh, in given this warning, uh, he is laying out here and, and talking to and, and warning the wavering. Uh, the, the Jewish sacrifices had, left, had lost their uh, their, their power and their place, it's Christ or judgment. It's Jesus and none other. It's Jesus plus nothing, minus nothing. And anything other than that is error. Verse number 29, he warns, he says, of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. Now listen, there's not anybody in this room this morning that I would go up to that I know or that I'm aware of where I would say, hey, uh, you, you're doing this or you're doing that. You are trotting Jesus underfoot intentionally to where you uh, or I are intentionally saying, you know what, Jesus, I don't like this about you. I'm throwing it down here and I'm, I'm, I'm trembling, I'm trembling all over it. We would never say that verbally. We would never have that intention. But we do it practically when we disobey his word when we reject the parts of his truth that we don't like, when we refuse to grow and gain understanding in areas that we don't understand, when we, when we come to a place where, it's, uh, where, where we are willfully disobeying, we face greater consequences is the message here. If I willfully disobey what God has told me in his word, it doesn't matter how much I say, Jesus, I love you. The practical, the practical thing in my life is that I am saying with my actions that I don't. And when I do that, I am trotting underfoot the Son of God. Verse number 30. For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. Again, the Lord shall judge his people. By the way, that's God's job. Now listen, we have to make righteous judgments and and I don't have time to go too far down this path this morning, but just so that we understand. Because everybody likes to grab hold of Matthew chapter 7, I believe, and, uh, and, and they, they want to jump in there and say, see, the Bible says if you judge, you'll be judged. And if you don't judge, if you judge, you're in, in danger of this, that, or the other. No, wait a minute. 
understand the context and understand the meaning of the words there. What he's saying is, and when you go and you study out the words and you understand the truth of that passage, he's not saying don't make an assessment or a judgment about someone. You cannot live your life biblically without making judgments about people. You, have, you made a judgment about me when you walked in this morning. I made judgments about you when you walked in this morning. That's not biblically wrong. I don't know how to respond to you biblically if I don't make a judgment about what your condition is spiritually or your walk with Christ or whether you know the Lord or don't know the Lord. The command here, the condemnation is not don't make a righteous judgment about someone. It is don't pass sentence upon. Go back, do the study, you look at it. If you think I'm wrong, you come back and we'll talk about it. But I'm just telling you, when I pass sentence upon someone, then I am judging them. That's, the con that's what's condemned here. But, but, and here's the reason why. Because when I pass sentence upon someone, I am usurping God's authority. It's God's position to pass sentence upon. Amen. It's not man's position to pass sentence upon. And so if a... If uh, anybody, it doesn't matter who they are, if it's pastor, if it's uh, a teacher, if it's uh, a, another pastor, a brother, sister in Christ, if it's uh, a family member, it, it, it matters not. The only person that you have to fear judgment from is God. That's his role. Doesn't mean that others don't have to make assessments about you. It means they can't pass judgment upon you. And why? Uh, and, and, and here's the thing. Everybody divorces uh, the verse about casting your uh, pearls before swine and giving that which is good to the dogs. I'm paraphrasing that verse. Uh, but it goes with not making judgments. The next verse transitions to a completely new subject and Lord teaches to pray. And so I, I, it's an illustration. Not casting your pearls before swine is an illustration. Here's why. Because Satan wants to distract you from doing true ministry, true working of God. Okay, so this is how it works in my life. Let's say for a moment that I've got, uh, that I'm standing over here by the door and there's a person over here that needs the gospel. And I'm trying to get there. The Holy Spirit is directing me there. And about the time that I get here, somebody comes up and says, Pastor, I have this emergency. So I try to deal with their emergency. And that person is still waiting for me to get there. I get that handled, and then I come and I get about here. Somebody else has a crisis. So I, 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 that person's growing more frustrated. This may be days, it may be minutes, it may be weeks, it may be months. But the fact of the matter is, is that they have something that they need, and the Holy Spirit is trying to, distract, trying to direct me there, and the devil is using spiritual things to distract me and hinder me from getting where God needs me. Okay, we tend to kind of look at these things in the Bible and just really assess everything from really extreme ends of the spectrum. I'm telling you that the devil knows he can't have your soul if it belongs to Christ, but he certainly will do everything that he can to hinder for you from being effective for God. And here's what happens. And I've preached this in Bible colleges before and, and I'll have someone stand at the door and I'll, I'll have two or three pre-programmed things and people will get here. And by the time I finally get free from the last one and go there, I'll just have them walk out the door. Why? Because they gave up. They lost hope. It took too long. My heart was pure. My motive was pure. I was trying to get there. But Satan distracted me with good things. And the person that paid the price may very well spend eternity in hell. Amen. So what I'm saying this morning is I want to be careful that, that I understand that God is the only judge that I have to fear and that I must be obedient to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. But I also have to understand that the Holy Spirit cannot guide me, lead me, or endorse me to do anything that this book says that I cannot do. If it's not written in this book, if there's not an example of it given in this book for me to follow, then I can't elevate something that's to a doctrinal standpoint if there's no example of how to do it, how to execute that doctrine in this book. 
And so when I look and understand, I, I'm, I, have a, I want to have an open ear, an open heart. I, I want to understand that, uh, you know, I can have conversations. I don't have to care about what other people think. I just care about what God thinks. But I can tell you what God thinks whenever he tells me what he thinks in his word. And so, verse 32, he says, uh, he says this, But call to remembrance the former days in which you were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of, of afflictions. In other words, when God opened your eyes and showed you you needed salvation, when God opened your eyes and revealed you, remember that. Because if you find yourself in a bad place or headed in a wrong direction, it's remember when God was speaking to you. It's an amazing thing to me uh, that, that sometimes somebody maybe that uh, will, will come into church and, and it's a, I mean, almost 20 years I've been a pastor and 25 in full-time ministry. I can't tell you how many times that I've stood up and preached week in and week out and you know six months ago somebody was yelling amen and now I'm preaching the same thing and they're mad and leaving the church. Same thing. They agreed with it before. I, the message didn't change. The Bible didn't change. You tell me what changed. Outside influences direct us away from God. And I'm not talking about outside of Victory Baptist Church. I'm talking about outside the parameters of the teaching of the Word of God. And so we need to be cautious and careful. Remember what I've learned and I need to expect trials. Trials will come. Testing will come. Temptations will come. I gave the illustration in the first, you know, the trials can knock us off balance. I used to have a couple of guys, and Brother Ed would remember, uh, Steve and Dustin, uh, when I was the director of a boys' home. And they, they liked a rough house. And I, at that point in my life, I'm like 31. I'm, I'm, I'm still, I mean, I don't think I'd want to try to beat them off now. But, uh, I mean, I walk into their dorm and, uh, and they wanted to take me down. And they'd lay in wait. Sometimes it was outside. Most of the time it was in their dorm. Uh, and they'd lay in wait. And they'd wait for me to come in. And when they would come in, I would hear the scuffling. It's getting started. It's almost like watching a cartoon. And the feet are spinning, you know, but nobody's going anywhere. Uh, and then I'd look out and there they come. And so I'd square up to them. And uh, one of them would take me high. The other one would try to take me low. And uh, Steve or Dustin would lower their shoulder into my sternum and they'd try to, uh, and the other one would try to get me low and catch my feet off and I'd generally get square to them and I'd just start going back till I got up against the wall. I'd get my back pinned against the wall. They thought they had me. I just, I'm, you know, they're 150 pounds maybe and about 15 or 16 years old. I'm 31 or two and about 230, 35 at that point. I'm not going to tell you how much now. Uh, and so, uh, I, you know, uh, they're there. They're laughing and giggling. And so I just bend over, reach down, grab an ankle, lift it up, pull off a shoe, <laughs> grab the ball of the foot, and twist. Causes no damage, but it's excruciating pain. And they're writhing in the floor. Brother Dave, let me go. Brother Dave, I'll never do it again. Are you going to do this again? No, I'm not going to do this again. Are you sure you're not going to do this again? Yes, I'm sure. Do you promise you're not going to do this? Oh, I promise. I'll give anything. Just let me go. You're killing me. It hurts. Uh, and I just, we'd go on for a while. Uh, and then I'd say, okay, I'll let you go. And I'd let them go. And sure enough, about 30 seconds later, after they caught their breath here, they came again. <laughs> Slow learners. <laughs> Trials and tests will knock you off balance if you don't anticipate them and look for them to be coming. I'm just going to tell you, when God is moving, when God's speaking to your heart, when a revival is setting in the church, when people are being saved and baptized, when people are being drawn to truth, when God is dealing with you, when you're having prayer answered, you better be on the lookout because the enemy is going to attack you. And if you're not prepared and expecting the attack, you are susceptible and vulnerable to being destroyed. To having your faith destroyed. To having your confidence in God shaken to the point that you just want to cast it away. And that's what he's laying out here. Remember what you've learned and expect trials. Now, he says expect humiliation in verse 33. Partly whilst you were made a gazing stock both by reproaches and afflictions. And partly whilst you became companions of them that were so used. And so here, the, again, I believe it's the Apostle Paul. And I believe he's saying to them, listen, I, I was the persecutor. Now I'm the persecuted. Uh, I know uh, what this is like for you. 
this is sometimes the punishment is just. Sometimes the punishment is unjust. Sometimes the criticism is just. Sometimes the criticism is unjust, but it is there nonetheless. And I, and I'm just, I want to sound a warning this morning because I see this coming. I, I see it, and I think that we as God's people ought to be aware and expecting. Whatever's in the culture at large around us infiltrates the church in the thinking of Christians. Okay? I'm not exempt from it. Uh, you know, when I was probably in my, uh, in my 20s, late 20s, early 30s is when all the political correctness stuff started. There are times that I find myself, and I think that we need to be cautious about how we say things, but I, I think sometimes that we're so overly cautious that we don't say what needs to be said. That's, that's an example of what I'm trying to say. Now, what's the, what's the culture out there right now? It's the cancel culture. If you don't like what somebody's saying, you just cancel it. You just tune it out. doesn't matter whether it's true. doesn't matter if it's relevant. I don't like it, so I'm not going to hear it. I, I'm just telling you, that's coming. And it's going to make it harder, whether, you're, whether, whether we're out, you know, on the street, or whether we're in a park, or whether we're in the church, or whether we're uh, in a, you know, if we had a Bible clubs in a school, one of these days we're willing, we'll get things like that available and going. Uh, if we're able to do things like that, I'm just telling you that it's going to be harder and harder and harder to actually reach people and see them because ingrained in their inner being is this cancel culture mentality. Don't let it get a hold of you. So, I'd never believe that. Be, think back real hard and be real honest with yourself and tell me that the things that were prominent in the thinking of the culture, uh, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or a thousand years ago, whenever you were young, <laughs> haven't permeated in your mind and that they don't affect the way that you see and think and view reality. It's just, it's just human nature. I'm, I'm not saying that to be uh, ugly or to attack or to, uh, you know, to, to downgrade or belittle. I'm just saying that's a reality. That's our nature. And if we don't understand that, then it's going to catch us off guard and we're going to be in trouble. Now, remember what we've learned, expect humiliation. Now I want you to go to Galatians and, and I'm, I know I'm taking a lot of time here and I'm going to give you points really fast with the groundwork, the points we won't need to spend, but we are going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. And so Galatians uh, chapter number two to begin. Galatians chapter two. <clears throat> so I want you to understand some things this morning. Galatians chapter two in verse 20 and 21. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Now, I want you to listen, because I, this is probably one of those areas where uh, once in a while I get a little more specific, but for the most part I stay pretty vague. I don't care, religion as a whole is not a good thing because it misguides people away from the truth of the gospel. I don't care what label you put on it. Um, you know, that, that it is a matter of Bible truth. And so we have to understand, when I add anything to the gospel other than Jesus... I am frustrating the gospel because I am adding to and I am making the law gospel. Let me give you some examples. Okay. If I have to be sprinkled as a baby or if I have to be baptized by pouring a cup of water over my head or by a, whatever, whatever method is chosen by whatever group, if I have to, uh, you know, go to confession, if I have to light a candle, if I have to pray over beads, if I have to practice some spiritual gift, if I have to do this, that, or the other, I don't care what it is. Then at that moment, I have made the law my method of salvation. Because it's <coughs> works. It's no longer the grace of God, and it's no longer a gift of God. My sufficiency is no longer in Jesus. My sufficiency is in me. 
And so what he's saying here is, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. In other words, if I could be good enough, baptized enough, say enough things uh, and, and, and whatever, pray enough rosary beads, then what I am is I am making the death of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross mute and irrelevant. It didn't need to happen. If I could do it on my own, there was no need for him to die. That, that's not good Bible doctrine. Okay, if I'm teaching that, if I'm preaching that, and, and, and by the way, if I'm spending a lot of time, if I'm reading a lot of literature, and I read a lot of people outside, but I know the differences. I know where I disagree with them. I know when I get to certain points, this is completely unbiblically true. There are a lot of things that I would read as a pastor that I would never say to the to a new Christian, hey, you need to read this, it'll help you. Uh, because it's going gonna, it's gonna to mislead them and misguide them because they don't know enough Bible, true Bible doctrine yet to be able to, to, to pick the meat off the bones. Okay, uh, so what I'm getting at here uh, is that uh, if I'm going to embrace uh, that kind of life, if I'm going to spend time following after that, I'm allowing them to influence me and I'm allowing them to influence me away from God. And I'm allowing them to influence me away from truth. There's an old proverb, and somebody will come up to me in the lobby after church, and they'll say, Pastor, I've never read that in Proverbs before. It's not a Bible proverb, okay? Just an old proverb that says that he that lieth down with dogs will surely rise up with fleas. And when the fleas start biting and you start scratching, it's a pretty good indication to the pastor that you've been running with a bad crowd. It's not helping your spiritual walk. Doesn't matter whether you're in school, whether it's on the job, or whether it's wherever it is. It doesn't matter what your age. It doesn't matter what your background. It doesn't matter uh, if I and I'm, and I'm just as susceptible. I'm, I'm very cautious about who influences me. And he tells us here the reason why. Now I want you to notice chapter 5 in Galatians. And verses 24 and 25. And they that are Christ <coughs> have crucified the flesh with the, with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, notice here. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. If I am walking in the Spirit, that Spirit, if it's the Holy Spirit of God, cannot lead me against what the Bible says. If it does, I'm either faking or it's an evil spirit that's leading me. I don't know how else to evaluate that. I don't know how else to assess that. I don't know how else to make, if you've got some insight, I'm all ears. All right? The, the God of this world is working against everything that God wants to do. The God of this world, from the inception of what we know about him in the earliest writings of the Bible, has counterfeited everything that God does. And so we should not be surprised if what God does, or what de the devil does, looks similar to what God does. You say, well, pastor... You know, well, I, I think this is right and I think this is good. No, excuse me for a minute. How long have you been saved? How much training do you actually have? How much experience do you have? So, Pastor, why does that matter? Because God gave you people to look out for your soul. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 11 through 17, and he gave some apostles. There are no apostles today. I know that there are groups out there that, that claim that term. But the biblical definition of an apostle had to have seen Jesus in his risen state. There's not anybody alive on the planet earth today that's seen Jesus in his risen state. Amen. Apostles, the office of an apostle in its biblical definition no longer exists. And some prophets, there are prophets, but prophets do not tell things that are going to happen in the sense of new revelation. All right? It's a contradiction to the Word of God. It cannot be possible. So then, Pastor, what is a New Testament prophet? Because I'm telling you, there are groups out there. I had a guy come in my office one time. I was pastoring another place, and he had a, he had a, a kind of a fake doctorate from somewhere, and he really thought uh, that he was God's gift to our church and that he had such great biblical understanding and he needed to train me and teach me uh, on a lot of things. And there are some things that I learned from him, but for the most part, when he got on some weird, he'd come in one time and, well, God gave me uh, a word of knowledge or God gave me this or God, what he, this, is, this is the interpretation of that statement. 
Now, I don't know that it means the same thing across the realm everywhere, but what he's trying to tell me is God gave me a supernatural, extra-biblical revelation of truth. In other words, God revealed to me new truth. It's like in Catholicism, it's when the Pope speaks ex cathedra. That then over, overrides and supersedes what's written in the Word of God. Okay? But God condemned us, condemned those that would add to the Word of God. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments and that may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates of the city. He comes and he tells us uh, that we are to add nothing to or to take nothing away uh, from the word of God. And when we do that, we are in shaky ground. So how do I, how am I protected against that? And God gave, so, so this is the, the, the New Testament ministry of a prophet is that I, you know, Kyle, I'm a pastor. A prophet is going to decry hard against sin everywhere that they go. You couldn't, you, listen, a church couldn't have a prophet as a pastor in its truest sense. Because they, the, the church couldn't take that much heat every week. Uh, that's just the truth. Because it's all judgment. It's all, this is, but this is what a prophet in the New Testament does. A prophet can look at your life, Kyle, and see if you make this decision and that decision, and if you do this, and if you go here, and if you spend time with that, and if you read this, then this is where you are likely to end up. God didn't come to me and say, you're ending up there. But I can discern from the word of God, I can read a map. And I can read your map and tell you that if you continue down this course and you keep making these decisions, this is what you're going to end up doing. And the only thing that's going to change that is if you come back to center in the Holy Spirit of God. So God gave some prophets and some evangelists. And that's someone an evangelist. And listen, we use the term evangelist for people that we actually are meaning as a prophet. Okay? We're going to have a revival, so we're having an evangelist in. Okay? We use that term because it's just kind of the accepted term, but it's not biblically accurate. Billy Graham was an evangelist. Now, I have a lot of issues with the way that he did things at the end of his ministry, but, but he went and he, he went out into the public and he put up tents and he didn't have church. He preached evangelistic messages. In other words, he just went out to the, where the people were and he preached the gospel. He evangelized. That's what the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul did not spend his ministry establishing churches. He spent his ministry preaching the gospel. Churches come together organically as a result of Christians having Christ in their life and were led to, by the Holy Spirit. And listen, the church isn't for the lost person. The church is for the Christian. That's a wonderful thing when lost people come here, hear the gospel and get saved. Praise the Lord. But, but that's not, that's, this isn't ministry for the congregant. This is worship. Ministry happens out there. Now, ministry can happen to the congregation from the choir, from the singing, as the message is preached. But the church, in its entirety, corporately, most of the church's ministry is where people are that need the gospel. That's an evangelist. An evangelist is someone who's evangelizing. When you're out knocking on someone's door and trying to share with them the gospel, when you're out preaching somewhere on, in public, when you're out uh, putting, hanging door hangers on doors and getting the gospel into homes that way, you are doing the work of an evangelist. And he gave some pastors and teachers. Now, why did he give us them? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so when we look at this, till we all come in the unity of faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, the perfect man in the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. God gave us pastors to teach, to edify, so that we as young Christians are not tossed to and fro with every, wind, every new doctrine that comes along. That's why God gave us Pat. Why, why are we going to listen? Uh, you know, I, I look sometimes dumbfounded, honestly, at, at young people in churches 
uh, that are in their teen years and sometimes junior high or sometimes high schoolers and they're getting the advice for life-changing decisions from their peers instead of godly leaders. And it's just as befuddling whenever people that have been saved for a couple of years or three or four years or five uh, that really have a great burden to serve the Lord uh, will listen to people that, that, that have been saved as long as they have whenever they've got uh, decades of ministry experience trying to lead them to true Bible doctrine and they won't hear it because uh, the people out there that just want to feel good uh, have more credence with them than somebody that's actually has some life experience and ministry experience teaching and preaching the Word of God. Listen, I'm not trying to be ugly this morning. I, I'm trying to help us make some sense out of some things in our lives because great potential is lost and wasted when the devil wins this battle. And God gave us pastors and teachers. And we need to be interested in realizing that the people that are going to give an account for our soul one day love us more than the people that just want to rub elbows and have a good time with us. And so he lays out here that this is, listen, expect some difficulty, expect some challenges, expect to have questions, uh, but God gave you people to watch for your soul to help you navigate that treacherous water. Verse number 34, back in Hebrews chapter number 10. Notice their response, for ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods. Paul said, I was imprisoned and you gladly gave beyond your capacity to give. You gave to me more than you could afford to give to me, to meet my needs. You gave joyfully because you understood that it's not about this life, it's about the next one. Amen. That our true reward is in heaven. And then notice that he says that in verse 36, uh, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, not my will, not the will of my ministry friends, not the will of my fellow pastors, not the will of whatever group I happen to be attached to, whether it's uh, as a pastor and, uh, it, you know, I, listen, there, there are so many different groups within every uh, denominational movement, it, you know, that you could, it, Southern Baptist doesn't mean what it used to. Being an independent doesn't mean what it used to. Being, because there are so many subgroups within it uh, and everybody gets all caught up in all of that political nonsense instead of just serving God and doing what the Bible says. Promise comes after obedience. When God says, I, I promised you, then he gives us obedience. Now, he says in verse 35, cast not away, therefore your confidence. This doesn't mean that you just kind of gradually lose confidence, somebody let me down. This is don't cast away. In other words, you know, pastor, you said something I like. I'm mad at you. I don't like you. I cast you away. That's what castaway means. Okay, we tend to think of, well, that person just drifted away. No, they, they slid in their spiritual discernment to a point where they just finally said, I'm done with this, I'm casting it away. I'm casting away the Spirit of God. I'm casting away the Bible. I'm casting away the power and the authority of the Word of God in my life. It's a choice. I didn't drop it. I didn't lose it. I cast it away. Don't you know Psalm 118, verses 8 and through 9? Now, I'm going to move very quickly now because the time is, uh, is late. Psalm 118, 8 and 9. He says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. In 1 Corinthians, uh, he said, uh, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. We need to be following God, not man. And by the way, a man's failure is never a viable reason for my failure. I can go through countless stories of a pastor's ministry failure and where it led many others to cast away and he is their excuse for everything that went wrong in their life. I'm not justifying the man's sin and failure. Shame on you for following a man like that. Shame on me for following a man like that. But that doesn't mean that I'm not supposed to follow godly leaders. That's right. 
I follow those godly leaders until those godly leaders are off in sin. As long as they're following Christ, I'm duty-bound to follow them. And so, if my God-given leader stands up and says, this is dangerous for you, I ought to pay close attention. I ought to want to find out why. I ought to try to make an honest assessment. I ought to get some understanding. Now, four things this morning, very quickly. Uh, have confidence in the person of God. What is our, our point here this morning? That then Paul is preaching here, or the writer of Hebrews is expressing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you have need of patience. After the, you have done the will of God, then you're going to receive the promise. In other words, God's made a lot of promises to us. But those promises are conditional. Salvation is not conditional. If I realize that I need him and I turn to him and accept his gift, uh, and, and I'm sorry for myself, I, I've got it. Okay, but blessing and empowerment, that's a different story. I, I, I receive promises after obedience. God doesn't say, I'll give you this if you promise to obey me later. God says, here's what I expect. Here's what I want. Here's how I want to use you. If you'll do this, 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 and this. Say, Pastor, that's legalism. No, that's the Bible. God's blessing has requirements. Now, we can disagree about what some of those requirements might be, and I think legitimately so, but for the most part, the Bible is very clear. And if I don't meet what the Bible, we can disagree about the other. And I've seen God bless some people that I've stood back and thought, I don't know how in the world God bless that. But I'm not God. Amen. I understand that. Maybe there's something I need to learn, an area I need to grow. Because apparently they fulfilled enough that God blessed them. Have confidence in the person of God. Hebrews chapter number 13 and verse number 5. Uh, the Bible says this, Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He will not leave you. Have confidence in the person of God. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Secondly, have when he says in Psalm 27.10, that when my father and mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. God is not forsaking you. Trust him. Have confidence in the person of God. And, and here's the practical side of this. When I have more confidence in a man's assessment or justification of some ministry thing or some new idea or some uh, and, and it doesn't matter where it came, comes from it, it, if, it, if it overrides what God has said in his word it's a problem and when I've got to make that decision I, my decision is to go with God every time so pastor what if you have to part company with uh, someone that you love dearly then we part company what if, you, what if it's someone that's really close? Then we part company. Listen, I have a lot of family members that I have no relationship with. I mean, we're friendly. We talk occasionally if we see each other. Uh, we have kind words, but we have nothing to talk about. Why? Because they have no interest in God. They have no interest in the Bible. They have no interest in seeing people saved. They have no, I'm not saying that they're against those things. I'm not saying that they're bad people. I'm just saying that our life is not is, is not, it doesn't, have the, it doesn't have the same values. We have nothing in common. We have no commonality, no common ground. What I'm saying this morning is if you put me in a position whether I, when I have, where I have to choose, I'm not talking about people here, I'm talking about just anyone or any idea, any concept, any doctrine, any whatever, uh, where I have to choose God and His Word or a relationship with you or your approval, then I choose God. Sometimes it's not the easy choice because there could be a lot of apparent blessing that is actually just bait from the devil that I've got to be aware of. Have confidence in the person of God. God, he, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. He will not change. He cannot change change. It's not possible. Have confidence in the person of God. He is everything that he's always been and always will be. Secondly, have confidence in the power of God. You don't have the power to save yourself and I don't have the power to save myself. 
You don't have the power to change your life, and I don't have the power to change my life. And if I don't have the power to change my life, I certainly don't have the power to change your life. Listen, it doesn't matter how shiny a package is. If there's no substance within the package, then it, it, it's, just, it's just vanity. Have confidence in the power of God. What God has power to save. James chapter 1 and verse number 21. He said, Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. There we are, saved by the word of God. So, Pastor, I thought we were saved by grace. Yeah, manifested in his word. Sometimes we want to take everything and hyper-analyze it. And so we're saved by God's word leads us to him and reveals him, him to us. God has power to change. In Romans chapter 12, uh, in verse number 2, and we, again, we know the verse well. We, we hear about it probably about three out of four Sundays uh, of the year. But he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It is the, the Holy Spirit that transforms us by changing our mind, by illuminating the Word of God. And so have power to save, power to change. We have, he has power to establish. In Romans chapter number 16, uh, in verse number 25, he says, Now unto him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. It is God that has power to establish. Man doesn't have power to establish. He can't establish your life. He can't establish your ministry. He can't establish my life. He can't establish, or I can't establish my life. I can't establish my ministry. Only he can do those things. A man can't establish the ministry of a church. God has to. It's his church. In Acts chapter number 20, in uh, verse number 32, uh, he states there, And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. We're talking about here, we're talking about that God is the one that has the power to change, and it is God that is the establisher. It's his church. It's God that gave authority through the church. Now, I didn't harp on this when we were talking about Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Silas the other day or a few Wednesday nights ago. But if you look at that story, Barnabas and, uh, took Mark and they headed out right away without the sending and the authority and the ordaining of the church upon their ministry and rode off into the footprint to the to the footnotes of the New Testament. You never hear Barnabas's name again. I don't think that Barnabas went off in sin. But whatever ministry he had on his own not sanctioned by the authority of the church, was not relevant enough to find its way back into the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, on the other hand, waited after their, after their argument, chose silence and stayed until the church sent him out with its authority. God has given his authority through his word to the church. That's the way that God, that's God's order. That's not my order. That's not, a, that's not a denominational thing. That, that is a Bible thing. Amen. I understand this morning that we have to understand that it's God's and God can do with it as he pleases. And if it's inconvenient for me to operate within that realm, then I have to be inconvenienced because it's God's. The power to establish. I need to have confidence in the power of God. I need to have confidence in the person of God. And listen, I, I'm going to tell you, there, there are young preachers all over this country today uh, that are uh, supposedly trained and educated that are putting more stock and placing more effort and coming up with new ideas and new ways to do things that they are, they are so engrossed in that that they have forgotten the power of God. Now, I'm not against trying some, some new method or some new way to try to do something in a better light. I'm not against that. But it doesn't matter how well it's done if the power of God's not on it. Amen. Have confidence in the people of God. Love one another. John chapter 13 and verse 34, he says, And I write a new commandment unto you that ye love one another. Loving one another means treating each other biblically. It means if I've got a problem with you, come and say so. That means if, you know, if I, if I come out and, 
make your mama cry all the way home today. That you're calling me this afternoon. Man, Pastor, you said some things that made my mama cry all the way home. I'm really upset about it. Can we talk? Sure we can talk. That's what you ought to do. Amen. And I can help you understand why she maybe needed a good cry. <laughs> She'll be crying this week when you go back to school anyway. <laughs> Have confidence in the people of God. Love one another. Just treat each other biblically. Doesn't mean that, you, that you're going to be best friends with everybody you go to church with. You're not going to connect on a personal level with everybody that you worship and serve God with. God, God knows that. But he needs all of us. Amen. And he wants to use all of us. And he, and, he, and he said that we can do that joined together, fitly, unified. We, we can do all of those things. God needs you. He needs your skill set, your personality, your gifts that he gave you. But they have to be done in his way. Love one another. He says that we're to edify one another. Again, in Romans, in chapter number 15, and uh, verse number 2. And so, Roman, we're almost done. If you just bear with me a few more minutes here. Romans chapter number 15, and uh, verse number 2. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Amen. Be edifiable. And sometimes we're really good at wanting to be the edifier, but we don't like to be edified. And so we need to be allowing God to speak to us. Pray for one another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 25. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. Follow those that follow Christ, but follow Christ. Have confidence in God's people. So pastor, what if people start straying away from God? They have confidence in God. Every, just listen, just because one pastor or just because one person that you were close to in the church makes bad decisions and goes the wrong way doesn't mean that everybody else went with him. If, some, if that happens and just, okay, I need a new mentor. I need a new leader. I need a new friend. But follow Christ. And lastly this morning, have confidence in the promises of God. Romans chapter 4 and verse number 21 and Romans chapter 4 deals a lot about Abraham and, um, and the promises that God made to him and how it was a lifetime of Abraham's love and leading and following of God. But, God. but he never received those promises until he was in heaven. But he followed anyway because he believed and he trusted God. The example of Abraham I can, gives me confidence in the promises of God. Verse number 21 of Romans 4, And being fully persuaded that what he, God, had promised he was able to perform. Amen. Abraham was fully persuaded that God would keep his word. How, why was he so persuaded that God would keep his word? Because the Bible told him. It's the Bible again. It's the word of God again. It, it wasn't what his companion told him. It wasn't what Lot said. It, it wasn't what uh, you know some other shepherd out on the plain told him. It was what the word of God said. So Pastor Abraham didn't have God's word. I know he got to talk to God face to face. How much more powerful would that have been? But he believed God. Titus chapter 1 and verse 2. In hope of eternal life which God. That cannot lie. Promised before the world began. God can be trusted. Not only that. He's faithful. Hebrews chapter number 10. In verse number 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. God's faithful. What's the point this morning? I'm saying this morning, don't draw back. Don't give up. If you're at a fork in the road, get guidance from your biblical authority. Not some novice somewhere to make the right decision. Understand the power and the, and the meaning of the word of God. Don't throw it all away. God has brought you so far. Don't throw it away. God has used you in a great way. Don't throw that away. Don't, don't. Get to a place where you say, well, Pastor, I've had bumps in the road and I've made these mistakes and I've done this and I've done that. God knows and God forgives and God restores and God uh, may have to change the, the, the chart your course a little bit differently, but he's still going to chart it. 
Trust Him. But don't throw it away. Well, Pastor, but that's hard preaching. Don't throw it away. It may be hard, it may be blunt, but it's truth. You don't want me to stand up here and tell you lies just so you feel good, do you? I mean, if you want that, there's a church around the corner over here, a couple of them you can go to. Plenty of people you can watch on TV. You just want a motivational speech, hey. So, Pastor, you're never going to have a very big church that, like, preaching like that. It's not my goal. I'd rather have some big Christians that love God and are committed to His Word. What if you never pastor a big church? Church, that's God's business. It's not my business. God didn't call me to do that. God just called me to be faithful to His Word. And that's what God's called you to do. And that means all of it, even the parts that are hard for me, even the parts that I may not understand, even the parts that all of the imps of hell are sitting on my shoulder telling me, no. Listen, every, every little demon in my life, whether it's a person or whether it's something in my past or whether it's a thought or whether it's something that's one of my besetting sins or if it's some frustration, uh, if, if it's nagging at me to do the wrong thing. And the closer I am to either committing to right or giving in and going the wrong way, the louder they are. Just choose right. I said it a couple services ago. I'll say it again as we close. Bob Jones Sr., famous for it. Great old Methodist evangelist. Prophet. Do right. Do right. Till the stars fall. Amen. Do right. Amen.